at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Uh, happy seven days until football. Not until right. Syracuse football, but until football in general. Well, technically, it's only three if you feel like taking in some Montana, North Dakota State. Happy seven days until FBS football. There it is. And six when you start listening to this recording, since there are some games on Wednesday, aren't there? Are there? I think they're just Thursday this year. There's no, uh, there's no Georgia State special this year, I don't uh, think. Oh, well. Last um, year we had the one Wednesday game, which was fun. And by fun, I mean it was a terrible football game. It was football. <laughs> but it was football. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> All right, so, um, for those listening on Thursday... Uh, Dan and I took a whirlwind journey to get here, over an hour to get this call set up, but here we are, um, and yeah, we're talking Syracuse football this entire time, so hour, hour and ten or so, uh, just be talking about the orange, and I guess we'll start with the quarterback situation. Um, Dan, obviously, Terrell Hunt is entrenched as the starter, but um, do you think that there's any chance at all... Um, that Hunt could be displaced this season if something goes terribly, terribly, horribly wrong? No, I think it's his to lose as long as there's no injury like last year. I mean, um, or if, like, Eric Dungy doesn't become some superstar overnight. But I really can't imagine a world in which the coaching staff isn't just going to let Hunt kind of ride the season out. I mean, as poorly as last year went... Um, I think it kind of also proved that Terrell Hunt, while not a perfect or even you know great quarterback by any means, was, was also an incredibly effective player in a lot of ways and uh, easily the best option for Syracuse. So um, I would say there's like a 95% chance that barring injury, he will actually probably it's probably low. I'd say it's probably like a 98% chance that Hunt will start every game as long as he's uh, good and ready to go. Um, I just don't think anything we saw out of the guys last year makes me think that they're ready. Um, it doesn't sound like A.J. Lawn's going to be healthy to start the year, so he'll probably redshirt if the coaches are allowed to do it. And uh, you don't want to throw a guy like Dungy in there, who, while it seems like he's been pretty good, um, throwing a true freshman against some of these ACC defenses that we have would be pretty rough. And I think Hunt, uh, his dual threat ability kind of allows the team to do a little bit more and mash some of the issues that the team has elsewhere. So uh, I think we'll, we'll probably see a full year of Hunt, which is, it's funny because it seems like he's been the starter uh, for a while now, but he's never played a full season as starting quarterback. So hopefully uh, hopefully that's a good thing for Syracuse and, and they can overcome some, uh, you know, maybe some talent deficiencies elsewhere with a 240-pound uh, battering ram at quarterback who will, if uh, all is going according to plan, be a slightly better thrower this year as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great point. It's one that's overlooked when people criticize Hunt and criticize the offense from last year is that, you know, Hunt really allowed for a lot more things to happen with this group. 
Um, he took up at least the attention of one defender, if not two, um, whenever he was in the pocket. Obviously, once we switched to a kind of uh, spread option set, uh, the way George McDonald was running things, um, that was kind of his benefits were kind of mitigated, and felt he was running too much to the point where it was easy to just have one, you know, spy key in on him and just take him down when he obviously took off for his 10 to 15 attempts a game. Um, but yeah, I, I think that you know, based on what we've heard from Hunt, I know even today his uh, his comments about the uh, the speed option seem. I'm cautiously hopeful, but you know, overall he just seems enthusiastic about. You know, proving the doubters wrong, uh, showing that this team can win, um, and installing a new offense that's going to be successful. You know, the one underrated part of uh, of last year's failures. Um, obviously, we know McDonald didn't really seem apologetic about them, um, and Lester isn't necessarily apologetic about the second half of the season either. But um, Hunt, more than anyone, seems to be really taking it personally. I think Trudeau too, um, as you saw today um, in his article. It's just interesting to see. Uh, or will be interesting to see the results of, you know, those players truly trying to put 2014 behind them. Um, and it's, it's a factor I don't think we've really talked about as much as we have with the coaches and the fan base. Yeah, for sure. And I was actually pretty optimistic after reading that article. Um, I think this year that, I mean, we've talked about the coaching staff, and even if they're not on the, the true, like, Mike London hot seat, which who knows if he actually is because it seems like Virginia just wants to pay him forever. But um, if assuming the coaches are on at least some level of hot seat, uh, I mean, they have to kind of pull out all the stops. And, and it's Hunt's last year. Um, he doesn't really project to be an NFL quarterback. I'm sure he'll try and he'll, you know, maybe look at a couple other leads. But uh, there's no reason for them not to just kind of unleash him and, and get all they can out of him. Uh, with the talents that he does have. So I was encouraged that they're looking at things like speed options, which might not be the most obvious uh, play for a quarterback who, you know, he's not that, like, 40. He's not going to run a 4-5. He's more elusive and just kind of knows the, how to control space and, and angle his way through places, and then he's also a really big dude. But it's it, I'm encouraged that they're looking at different avenues to gain yards where, you know, outside of just throwing the ball to Ishmael and, and handing and doing the normal read option stuff. So, um, and then obviously Rob Trudeau sounds pretty pumped, which he seems to be pretty, uh, from, from based on the last couple of years, he seems to not mince words very much. So it, it means a little bit more coming from him, I think. Um, but even last year, I mean, Hunt only played in a handful of games. He averaged 5.6 yards a carry. He was well on his way to having like a good 600-yard rushing season, um, if not more. He had six touchdowns in, in what, five, four and a half games, maybe less, uh, considering the, the suspend, the, uh, being kicked out of that first game and then the injury. So he's a, he's probably a better runner than he is a thrower. Um, and he's a senior now. Uh, I think they just need to kind of unchain him and, and find what works like they did at the end of 2013 and let him grow. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, you know, Hunt, when he seems forced to think too much, when he's forced to carry too much of the load, that's when I think uh, he struggles. And I think that's something that he's fought um, this offseason. And it's something that we're going to have to watch out for a lot, um, you know, going into the early part of the season is whether or not, you know, he can battle back from those types of things and whether this team can really be there to, to help him out and back him up. And, you know, I am looking forward to, to seeing what he can do with, you said, uh, a full season. Um the one thing that's going to help him out a ton, I think, is uh, the running back position. 
Now I know that there's not as much to be excited about as compared to last year. Um, obviously the lead rusher from last season, Urban Phillips, is switched over to H-back slash hybrid. Um, but Dan, what do you think of this running backs group? Do you believe in George Morris and Devontae McFarlane? Do you think that their drop in production last year was based on a lack of reps or a lack of proper use? Um, or do you think that they're just going to bide some time at the beginning of the year until Dante Strickland takes up the uh, the uh, top of the depth chart? Um, I think it's a really intriguing group. Uh, the last couple of seasons, we've kind of known what we're getting with our running backs, um, between Jerome Smith kind of being the guy, and then last year Prince Tyson Gully being the you know 1A back, for better or worse. And, and I, I still don't think he was ever quite used to his full potential outside of like a couple of games here and there. Um but this year, uh, we don't know a ton about these guys. Obviously, Irv Phillips had a really nice freshman year, but he's going to be at a slightly different position now. But I still think he'll get his number of carries. Um, but I think we've seen enough explosiveness, especially from McFarlane, where uh, you can get excited about that. Um, I know anyone who's been reading Bill Connolly this summer, there's been a, a, a rash of articles about how explosiveness is a huge uh, key in college football, even more so than like the turnover battle, which is always cited as one of the most important things. Basically, a team that the team that has more plays of 20 plus yards wins like a pretty substantial amount of the time. Um, and McFarlane, in very limited time, both years on the team, has shown that he can break off those kind of plays. And Morris is a similar player. They're they're actually uh, it's interesting because they're not totally different. We don't have like a, a giant power back. All of our running backs are actually pretty pretty similar aside from Irv, who is obviously now at that express package back position. Um, but I'm excited to see what they can do, because I don't think either one has really gotten a fair shake at like show, proving that they can be in every down back. But um, And then they also have the two freshmen. Uh, Jordan Fredericks is like kind of one of the breakout stars of camp so far from what we've read, and Strickland's been banged up, but he is arguably the top player in this recruiting class now that Marquis Blair is, uh, is going off to Juco. So um, I'm it's it's hard because we don't know exactly like what we what we did about Prince Tyson Dolly coming into last year, uh, who we were super familiar with. But it's a group that's pretty exciting, um, very athletic, and I think uh, I think it's it's interesting to be have this much intrigue in the backfield where usually that's a spot where SU kind of knows what it is. Yeah, I, I think that you know what that's a it's a great angle to take. Um... You're right. Last year, for everything we knew, we ended up knowing nothing. Um, at least for everything we knew about the players, uh, we ended up, you know, with kind of a, a hodgepodge system that simply didn't work um, for what the team's personnel was and, and what the team's, you know, overall talent level and opponents were. Uh, I think this year, you know, for all the offensive uh, scheme previews we've seen, it looks like um, SU is going to be doing a lot more downhill running. Um, in general, uh, you know, running it up the middle more, um, which these players can do despite their, like, overall they're kind of hanging in that 5'11 uh, to 6 feet and about 2 to 2'10. Um, these guys can still run between the tackles. Um, they can still run, um, you know, straight up the gut. Uh, they have enough power. If they build ahead of steam, um, you know, these are guys that can surprise. And I think if, if we can... If we can do what this team has yet to do um, with Schaefer's head coach, which is... Um, you know, really mix it up on offense and, and play some inside-out football. I know it's usually a term that we might uh, associate more with basketball, but um, really working it to the outside um, with smart plays and, and plays that are actually blocked for. 
<laughs> and then utilizing the run game to draw the defense in so that those plays can be more successful. Um, there's a lot to like here. Um, again, it's crazy that you know year three into Schaefer's regime, we're only just talking about uh, what seem like some pretty basic and core concepts um, for, for success on offense. And, and not to bring it all the way back to the quarterbacks, but I was just thinking like, oh, well, we don't have uh, a kind of a, a change of pace back because most of these guys are, are – you know, pretty average size running backs. We don't have like a super shifty guy and we don't have a huge back. But then I realize we have Terrell Hunt, who is basically a fullback. So, uh, that does also add a little bit to the equation where you don't have, you know, the Adonis mean more type. But I mean, if you want Hunt to run a draw, the dude averaged six yards carry last year. So, um, he's always going to be a threat back there. And I think he, his presence could really help, um, kind of propel these running backs. Uh, especially if we decided to use some some read option looks, which were fairly successful at the beginning of last year before everything went to hell. So um, I think this is kind of one of the more exciting things about this season uh, is almost that we don't really know what this Leicester offense is. Like, we have some vague ideas, but until we actually see it go, um, it's, nerve, it's nerve-wracking because obviously there's a lot riding on this season, but it's also a little bit exciting to see what they've come up with. No, I completely agree, um, and I think that's a good uh, tail into. Uh, I think we'll cover the uh, the hybrid slash express backs first. Um, you know, and this is an intriguing group. I mean, there's no more Ashton Broiled, but uh, you have guys like Irv Phillips, Ben Lewis, um, and Brisley Estein, guys who have um, repeatedly shown themselves to be playmakers um, in spots, not consistently for a full season due to you know injuries. Uh, to all three, but um, these are three players who can really give um, some defenses fits if they're going to be employed um, in various um, packages. You know, like if, I mean, no, I don't want to see Ben Lewis, and I've said this before, don't want to see Ben Lewis taking handoffs. Is, uh, that's a nightmare. But um, in general, uh, what I, I am looking forward to seeing is, you know, seeing maybe a couple of them split out wide, um, a couple of them in motion, really getting defenses um, kind of questioning who they should be clued into. And, you know, that could either, A, um, you know, put attention on um, the perimeter, allowing us to run more inside, or, um, you know, if, if especially Irv, uh, you know, if you're going to run a little bit and take some straight handoffs, um, it's going to, you know, draw the defense, um, I guess, a little more in, but also really have them keyed in on him, function as a decoy, um, and that'll allow for other players to get involved. Um, ideally, this is a, uh, an offense that if this scheme is run right, um, that we should see, say, somewhere in the vicinity of, uh, you know, 9 to, to 11 guys really get touches every game. Um, and that's not going to do anything to pad stats. It's not going to necessarily help out um, in terms of, you know, their overall legacy or, or all ACC votes. But what it's going to do um, is, is create an offense that, that other teams simply can't game plan for um, on a regular basis, and that again is is a change we haven't seen since maybe uh, I mean maybe 2012. But even then, I think you knew what that SU team was doing, and you just couldn't stop it because of the talent. Yeah, and and I think one of the other things that we lost earlier in the season before we started to get a little bit more of a peek inside of what this position is like. Um, it seems like half of the the thing with the H-back position or the express-back position is kind of just the opportunity to create matchups, not with the actual play or not with the actual 
um, positioning on the field, but running some up-tempo stuff and not allowing the defense to switch off their personnel. So you have a guy like Irv Phillips who can line up as a, as a traditional running back and then on the next play switch over to the slot and match up on a linebacker. And he's just so versatile that the defense will have to burn timeouts or call into a play that might open up a mismatch on the outside with Steve Ishmael, who can go down the field and beat a, a, most corners one-on-one. Um, so I think that's where a lot of the value comes. It's not necessarily, oh, we have Irv who can take a sweep or – um, maybe he'll throw some screens to him. I think a lot of it's just uh, making the defense think a little bit more and having them uncomfortable in what their matchups look like on a play-to-play basis. No, that's spot on. Um, and then moving from you know these express backs and the hybrids to uh, you know wide receivers, um, I think what I like here is, is that. You know, Steve Ishmael presents kind of the next wave of what SU can turn into. Um, We talk about this a lot, is that, you know, other teams use the dome turf um, to gain a speed advantage. I think LSU, um, we'll talk about the schedule later, is a prime example of this, of a team who should be able to use that to their advantage. But Ishmael is one of several fast players, and I think Irv is another one, who who can use the turf and, and, and really explode. We saw it against Florida State. Uh, and I think we'll see it for a few afternoons this season, too. Um, Ishmael could be um, one of the better receivers that she's had in a while. That's not to take anything away from guys like Alec Lemon or Marcus Sales um, or even Jared West, but it's it's something to focus in on um, for a guy who has a ton of speed, can really get himself um, you know, open down the field. And, I mean, no, he wasn't keyed in on last year, so that'll be a big change, but... Um, I think to me, he, he becomes you know our most exciting playmaker um, in the passing game anyway, um, and one who you know is really going to be exciting to watch, and one who could be a sleeper um, in terms of all ACC performers. Not maybe first team, but somebody who's going to turn some heads um, all fall. Beyond that, though, uh, where I think his success lies is what happens with the rest of these receivers. Um, obviously, you have those hybrids who may or may not be in pass-catching roles all the time, um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of questions, but there's also a lot of hope at the same time. I think a lot of these guys are are not necessarily proven, and that could be a good thing. You know, whether it's guys like Sean Avant, um, who just hasn't been able to jump in yet, or guys like Alvin Cornelius, who showed themselves in spots. Um, you have younger guys like Custis, um, who played some tight end last year. You have someone who actually is playing tight end this year, uh, like Josh Paris. I just like what we have um, in the tight end and wide receiver spots, even if there isn't a, a, you know, a leader or, or leaders um, emerging at those positions just yet. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting mix of talents. Uh, obviously, Ishmael is, is the number one guy. Um, I think the fact that he put up even, you know, the numbers he did put up last year aren't, like, staggering until you realize he was getting thrown to by just a whole mess of uh, different backup quarterbacks for most of the year. Um, and he went up against, I mean, the, the ACC, if it has anything, it has good cornerbacks, and a lot of those guys are back net this year, which makes him even more important. Um, but I agree, I think he's probably the most talented pure wide receiver we've had in the team since Mike Williams. Um, now, obviously, there's a couple other guys he has to jump to really uh, reach that level, including you mentioned Alec Lemon, who was just so rawly productive his senior year. Um that it's kind of, it'd be pretty amazing if you put up those kind of numbers, but 
Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we got close. Um, but yeah, otherwise, I mean, it's just an, a really nice mix of different skill sets. Obviously, Grizzly's there. Um, he's been bouncing back between receiver and H-back. Um, but he's like the pure one pure, like, speed option who, if we do throw any screen passes this year, and I know you kind of hope we don't, especially the bubble screens, but he's <laughs> the, uh, he's the, the guy there, I think. Um, and then there's obviously Katarius Womack, the converted slash maybe not totally converted quarterback who it does seem like they're trying to get involved. I've seen him out there a bit in the brief clips that we've seen from practice. And then, uh, you have Custis and Anoisi who are both huge targets. And I really hope one of them can find a way to down the field this year because they both seem like guys that would be invaluable in the red zone, which is a place we struggled so much last year, along with, uh, guys like PJ Batten and, and, uh, Josh Paris, who has had some moments there. Um, just a lot of different types of players, which is exciting. Uh, and then you have guys like Cornelius, who disappeared last year, but he was probably the best receiver on the team down the stretch in 13. Um, so you, you really hope that the uh, the offense finds a way to mold them all together, because last year they just so many wasted pieces. Um, and this year, hopefully, there's a little bit more coherency, especially with this group. Yeah, and you know what, like what I was talking about before, you know, getting 9 to 11 players involved every game, I think this group lends really, really well to that. It is, uh, you know, you don't have, uh, you really don't have any seniors here, um, or at least any, like, well-established seniors. Um, you don't really have anyone who feels entitled to numbers, so this becomes a great opportunity to play Spurs, you know, type football, um, and and just spread the love around and play a great team game. Um, a couple guys that I wanted to get to before we jump out of, uh, you know, wide receivers and tight ends, and these are uh, two exciting, exciting guys. I know we've talked about this um, internally. Uh, Adley Anoisi, uh, some amazing size, 6'5", 227. I mean, this is a guy who is going to play wide receiver um, and is probably going to be bigger than a lot of tight ends. Um, could be uh, a surprise for SU, and I hope that they find ways to employ him um, on the outside and maybe... Uh, you know, in a kind of hybrid tight end role, if that makes sense. Um, and then Troy, uh, Trey Dunkelberger, another guy with some tremendous size. You're looking at 6'4", 230. Um, you know, he's hanging around the same uh, size as Kendall Moore, who looks like is switching back to tight end. Um, but I honestly like what Dunkelberger brings to the table a little bit more. Um, he's got speed and athleticism that Josh Paris, while he's, I think he can be a quality tight end, I don't think he possesses as much of it. Um, and I think Dunkelberger in general can... Uh, can kind of play some basketball with these uh, with these linebackers out there, if that makes any sense. Um, and he could be a great safety valve for Hunt as he gets uh, gets a little more accustomed to this, uh, you know, some of these West Coast passing schemes that Bluster's implemented. Yeah, and obviously last year the tight end was just totally gone from the equation after being a pretty valuable uh, asset for years under Marone and, and even 2013. Obviously Josh Paris had probably the play of the year. Um so, yeah, I mean, a guy like Dunkelberger, who also, you know, he sits five, he's a big guy. Uh, he's not the only sits five guy, but he's he's right up there with some of the other tight ends and big receivers. And also, he's, by all accounts, a pretty tenacious blocker, so it would be good if he's, you know, a two-way player, whereas some of the some of the tight ends we've had in the past and, and across the country don't quite bring both aspects of the game, which is an issue when you're trying to go up tempo or you're trying to, you know, push pace and not and uh, not go to the huddle every play. Um so, you know, same same argument you make with the H-Bats, where they bring kind of a, a diversity of skills and, and allow you to do multiple different three things from different sets with the same group of players. So um, I sure hope the tight end becomes a part of the team this year again, because last year it was just 
so bizarre how it was missing, especially with young quarterbacks out there who you'd think they'd take advantage of the tight end more than anyone, but they were just totally absent from the equation, which was totally mind-boggling. Right. And, and again, this is something we have discussed before here. Um, just it, Tight ends are, are a critical part of the position, especially when you have a quarterback who may not be the best um, at throwing downfield. The tight end's a perfect safety valve, and even later in the year when you're looking at inexperienced passers like Austin Wilson and A.J. Long, um, these are guys who would have benefited greatly from having a tight end um, at their disposal, and, and it just never happened. And I'm looking forward to seeing what we do um, with them, both from a blocking standpoint and, and if we're going to employ screens, I think that they're key there, um, as well as a passing standpoint. We have a couple guys who really can pa- uh, you know, catch some passes um, you know, in traffic and, uh, and bruise a couple linebackers in the process. Um, but they're not going to do it without the offensive line. Um, Actually, a, a not-so-sloppy segue on my part for once. <laughs> you have a group that has experience, um, but not all of it's the right type of experience. Obviously, we know what we're getting out of Rob Trudeau, who moves to center, um, and Ivan Foy and Nick Robinson, but everybody else, um, I, I feel like we're in a little bit of, uh, of upheaval. Amari Palmer played in spots last year, started some games, uh, but didn't necessarily... Uh, you know, impress um, during his time all that much. I think Jason Emmerich could see some rotation at center to help out Trudeau, but another guy who, um, you know, quality here and there. And Lasker, same deal. Um, I think Lasker kind of struggled. I know that he had several uh, false start penalties along with the rest of the team, again, despite having a single cadence. <laughs> and then Jamar McGloster is another guy who we're just not sure exactly um, – what we're going to see out of them. But if this group can stay healthy, and they couldn't last year for the most part, um, I think they should be able to protect Hunt, and I think they should be able to help this scheme uh, move forward in ways that uh, that McDonald's scheme from last season, um, which was ill-fated in so many ways, um, can really see it get off the ground. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting group. Um, obviously, Trudeau kind of hinges on him. His move to center is fairly interesting. It's probably the best spot for him if he wants to have an NFL future, which is probably pretty enticing. Um, and obviously you get more value out of a center than you do a, a right guard or something like that. So hopefully he's adjusted well. I know we've had some issues with players moving to center in the past. Um, Lou Alexander comes to mind and the era of no shotgun. But uh, I, I trust that Trudeau is a really smart player uh, and smart guy in general. Uh, supposed to be a pretty good student. So hopefully he can handle it. I, I trust that he can. Um, I actually think Nick Robinson's a really good player. I think he's been pretty underrated his time here. He was, he's been a little injured, uh, I think, last year. He did some time with injury, but he's been a pretty solid starter when he has played, um, so I'm not too worried about him. Foy at left tackle concerns me a little bit more. Um, he's been really off and on. Uh, he's had his moments at right tackle, but there have been times where he's just doesn't seem to have, like, the total focus necessary at times, but um, he is also a senior, so you have to rely on those guys, and, and he's done a nice job of uh, trimming down, and, and hopefully he'll be ready to take on some of these really strong pass rushers. Um, I will say I'm very glad we don't play Virginia Tech this year because that line just terrifies me. Um, uh, on the right side, I'm, a, I'm kind of an unabashed uh, Amari Palmer fan. Um, I had a chance to meet him before he got here. Really nice guy, uh, unbelievably strong, um, 
and just kind of a, a bulldozer of a player. Um, he, he, to me, he seems more like a guard than a tackle, which is interesting, especially because some of the guys we have penciled in in the right guard position are a little smaller. Um, but I, I, you know, I have to trust the coaching staff here, uh, especially because there is no obvious guy at right tackle because it doesn't quite seem like Jamar McLoster is ready or John Burton. So uh, it's a little bit piecemeal on the right side. I think there's potential at the left side and in the middle. Um, it is a little worry, worrisome that we don't have uh, a Sean Hickey or a Justin Pugh for the first time in like four or five years, which is a bit disconcerting considering how good those guys are and how they've kind of been the the staple of the, of the team for a little while. But it's it's a team that's probably more experienced than most will realize, especially with, with three seniors along the uh, the left side from left half of the center. So uh, I would expect them to hold up fairly well. Um, and there are, you know, some pretty big defensive players that have departed the ACC in the last couple of years, especially when teams like FSU and Clemson. So it won't be quite the grind that it would, would have been last year with this group. Um, but overall, I, I think offensive line is one of the bigger question marks on the, on the team, and it could be a determining factor with how far this offense goes. Um, hopefully Hunt is in there the whole time because I think he helps mask some deficiencies because of his ability to break tackles and, and improvise. But... Overall, you can't have him getting bum-rushed every play anyway. So uh, we'll find out pretty quick whether or not this line can withstand. But I haven't heard a whole lot of concern coming from the team um, or from the writers. So it seems like they're holding up fairly well against a pretty aggressive defense in practice, which is a good sign, I think. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I would say that that aggressive defense um, has been banged up, is fairly green. Um, and I guess it brings us to one of two big potential trouble spots. Um, for Syracuse this fall, um, you know, we start with the defensive line, which is replacing a lot and, uh, and could be replacing even more. I know Ron Thompson, he, uh, he got out of the boot the other day, but we really don't know what that means for his status next Friday. Um, John Raymond still just can't seem to stay on the field. Um, Luke Arciniega, uh, Arciniega, apologies. Uh, his name always trips me up, has for years. <laughs> he, uh... He's never really been able to stay on the field consistently, but he'll get uh, you know his own tries at defensive end. Uh, Donnie Simmons obviously was injured last year. Um, in general, this is just a really young group. Um, it's one that has the potential to uh, to do well, the potential to uh, to really kind of surprise people since there's not enough tape um, to scout them. But um, I think we're gonna see them. You know, struggle a little bit against some of the uh, the better offensive lines, um, which could really, you know, especially earlier in the season, they could really stonewall them as they kind of adjust from the uh, the Rhode Islands and Central Michigans of the world to the Florida States and Clemsons of the world. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the the place that most of us have pinpointed, um, just because of, of how little we know about the group. But um, overall, I think we've gotten pretty decent reads based on what we've heard, especially because Tim Dass is one of the coaches that uh, it does seem like uh, has been given the most time to talk about his guys this summer, which is nice. No, absolutely. Um, Dan, what do you think is going to happen with Thompson? Do you think that this is something that's going to linger all season? Um, or do you think that this is something that he can recover from? Um, if Thompson has to sit, who's the guy who, uh, who needs to lead and needs to really show up um, for this line? 
Uh, I don't know if we can afford to not have Thompson and also uh, Raymond. I think, um, obviously, they play different positions, but I think when you have a, a ton of pressure coming from the edge, you can afford to take up a little less space in the middle, and then vice versa when you have a guy like Raymond who should be able to eat double teams and, and disrupt in the middle. Uh, I think you can afford a little less pressure. We've seen that with different units that we've had in the past. Um, if Thompson's out, um, it's tough because it's such a it's such a rat-tad group. Uh, else, otherwise, obviously, Jake Picard is um, really highly touted freshman. He looks like he looks the part already, um, but it's asking a lot for him to go against left tackles and, and make plays. Um, and then the other guys, I mean, Luke Arsene-Niega is an interesting player. Um, could bring a lot of speed off the edge coming from linebacker, but he hasn't been able to stay on the field either, and he's learning a brand-new position. And Donnie Simmons has been there for a while, but uh, we haven't – I mean, he's been hurt his whole career. Um, I know he's super athletic, and he's a real interesting player, but it's hard. Not, I mean, none of the guys – even Thompson, while a really exciting player, he's not super experienced there either, um, but we have seen a lot of flashes from him. But uh, it's a really inexperienced group, so I think we are in a bit of trouble if Thompson can't go. Um, luckily, it doesn't seem like it's too bad. I know his boot was off today, which is a good sign because it's only been about a week, week and a half. So uh, even if they have to rest him for Rhode Island, I would I would do it and just get him on the field um, by that LSU game when things really get ratcheted up. No, I completely agree. Uh, do you think that... Um what do you think about the youth, I guess? Um, I know you mentioned Picard, who I've said before, not to mince words, I think he could be a J.J. Watt type for us down the road. Um, but what do you think about the rest of the young guys? I think they're going to have to see the field. Um, Steve, I mean, Stephen Clark, most importantly, who I think is, is somebody who could be a bona fide starter right now. Um, and then Chris Slayton and Caden Samuels. I mean, there's others. Uh, Cutter Shepard and Amir Ely don't want to short them, but I think the, the guys we mentioned there are going to be the four um, you know, big, big keys to this defense this season. Is there any any of those four um, that really stand out to you as the best and the one who could who'd really, really surprise us um, if, if forced to start um, a significant portion of this season? Uh, I think it's Clark. I think um, just based on the how highly touted he came in uh, and – you know, he's a guy that you can actually point to and say is a legit SEC talent based on the teams that were after him, especially Florida at the end. Um, and it seems like he's been doing a pretty good job, and he's he's right there physically, uh, even if he's not totally aware of what, what's going on every play. Um, we've heard mostly good reports about him. So I think he's going to be thrust into action no matter what happens. Um, it's also encouraging to hear that Peyton Samuels is like a total monster in the weight room. Uh, those things all help. Um and I think that's kind of made things a little more easy to digest with this, this unit, um, actually both the defensive ends and the defensive tackles, where while there's very little depth there in terms of experience, um, we have a lot of our best or our most exciting young players on those spots. So even if it's a bit of a struggle this year, um, I think some of it's helped by the aggressive blitzing scheme uh, that Syracuse has had since Schaefer got here. Um, that takes a little bit of pressure off the defensive line. And with the knowledge that uh, in a couple of years, in two or three years, uh, this team is going to be stacked with really experienced, um, hopefully really good defensive linemen. So uh, obviously we're most concerned about 2015 right now, but um, I think there's there has been a precedent for some uh, big freshman linemen to have big years in the past uh, at other schools. If you look at, like, obviously we're not saying anyone here is going to be a Miles Garrett, but 
we've had, seen some defensive ends come out of nowhere with double-digit sack years. So obviously you're not setting that hardest to go do that, but it's a, it's a position that's that's not the easiest to step into, but um, it is one where if you have the athleticism and you have the explosiveness, uh, you can make up for some mental errors by just being aggressive and looking to make plays. Right. I mean, none of these guys are necessarily, uh, you know, freak athletes or, or say, first-team All-SEC guys, um, you know, right off the bat. But that said, um, you know, Picard's a guy who's getting attention from Wisconsin. Clark's a guy who's getting, you know, tons of attention uh, down from a lot of SEC schools down in Alabama. Like, this is, um, this is a group that could, over time, you know, really show off some stuff. And, I mean, obviously... It's going to take some effort to, to beat some quality offensive lines at Clemson um, and Florida State and to a lesser extent Louisville. But, um, you know, against our peers in the ACC, I mean, these guys should be able to, uh, to put up some good numbers both this year and going forward. And I'm looking forward to seeing them, um, you know, really lead this SU defense um, for the foreseeable future. Uh, moving from that, um, it's halftime. It's a little past halftime, actually. But... Uh, no worries on that. We uh, we got beer. So Dan, what are you what have you been drinking of late? Um, I didn't have a ton of different things this week, but I, I made it count. Um, I had a lot of grapefruit sculpin. <laughs> yeah. Which I had a couple sixers of that, which I found, and I just decided I was gonna buy it, and I did, and I drank a lot of it. Um, so that was good. Uh, otherwise, uh, it was just a trip down the shore this weekend, so. Nothing, you know, terribly interesting outside of that. You know, your normal crappy macro brews, which don't need to get plugged by me here. But I did allow myself some time to enjoy the really good Dallas Point. So not the first time we've talked about that and definitely won't be the last, especially because it's like it seems like it's almost the beer of the summer in terms of uh, really highly rated micro things that you can find fairly regularly. So. I was very happy to get my hands on that because it had been a couple weeks. Uh, and hopefully I'll find that again uh, soon. Yeah, I don't know what uh, what its availability looks like um, over by you guys. If it's rare or whatever, I know around here, it's uh, it's pretty much everywhere, which uh, which makes it awesome. Also has me kind of take it for granted a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I didn't drink that this week. I usually find one um, on tap somewhere during the week, but... Uh, some things I had, uh, Beachwood Brewing Citraholic. I know I talked about this one last summer. Um, just a delicious, delicious um, IPA from Beachwood. Drinks like a session. Hangs out around 7.1% ABV. Um, obviously, based on the citra hop character. Packed with just a, uh, a delicious kind of tropical fruits um, throughout. Just a really enjoyable beer. Um, have to check out uh, Brewfist and... Uh, Prairie uh, Spaghetti Western was a chocolate coffee um, stout, well, imperial stout. Um, wasn't too sweet, had a nice dry finish because of the coffee. Overall, really enjoyed that one. Um, got to check out uh, Lemon and Grassy from the uh, Hop Concept. Um, for those familiar, Hop Concept is kind of a, uh, an offshoot brewery of Lost Abbey and uh, Port Brewing. Uh, those two share a space uh, down in Escondido. Um, in the San Diego area, uh, Port Brewing in and of itself being an offshoot of Pizza Port, um, which was founded down in San Diego as well, also has an outpost in uh, San Clemente, which is South Orange County. So, yeah, 
complicated family tree there, but an interesting IPA nonetheless. Um, also got to check out uh, Thank You Very Much from Highland Park Brewery um, up in the Highland Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. Uh, they're a great spot, not really that close to me anymore, uh, about 45 minutes and zero traffic, uh, but willing to do it. Uh, had to pick up a bottle while I was there, so uh, got to enjoy that IPA uh, and King Harbor Brewing. Um, their IPA is pretty delicious. Um, I think Time Out New York oddly wrote about it, I think a week or two ago. Um, yeah, they're, uh, they're a less than mile walk from, from my new house, so this, uh, this could get dangerous. We'll, uh, we'll report back as we go. Um, yeah, I've been drinking plenty of uh, house beer, the uh, house brewing company. Um, up in Venice, uh, brewed a uh, kind of a craft competitor to macro brews, um, and it's pretty much Budweiser but higher ABV with better ingredients, um, local ingredients, and it's a really really good beer. Um, and it goes to show that just because you can make the same beer millions of times, you know, a year, um, and get it out to pretty much everybody in the world, doesn't mean it's good. Um, and house beers are able to, to you know take a a pretty standard lager that folks, you know, drink en masse around here and, and, and turn it into something that, you know, you enjoy and, and you actually pursue. John, why don't you just be macro and proud for once? <laughs> Come on. Brewed the hard way. Brewed hard by factories <laughs> and machines and shit. Speaking of, uh, I guess that's an interesting segue into... Uh, we're going to take one question from the readership. Uh, our one Andy Pregler, who is actually a member of the staff. Uh, <laughs> Andy's question, uh, for those who didn't see on Twitter, uh, if you had to pick a non-macro brew to best describe your SU football outlook, it would be what? Um, I thought about this on my commute home when I saw Andy tweet this at us. I'm going to go ahead and say PBR because... I don't have huge expectations for this uh, Syracuse football season. Um, I think the team is going to go 5-7, and seven, uh, and I'm kind of on the record with that. Uh, and when I buy PBR, which isn't that often anymore, but uh, especially like down late in college slash early couple years out of college, I was usually spending like $15. Um, I didn't expect to drink any kind of great beer, but... Like Syracuse football this year, there's always a chance that you walk into a, a party with a 30-rack of PBR, and it ends up being way more fun than you think, and you don't even notice that you're drinking, you know, not the greatest thing in the world. And you also probably spent a little less emotional investment than even if you bought some Budweiser, which would probably cost you, like, $25. So um, I think that's Syracuse football this year. You're, you're investing a little less than you have in years past, and there's a decent chance that the payoff is just as good, if not better. All right. Uh, I got two answers here, and they're for two slightly different takes. Um, one is actually house beer uh, that I just mentioned earlier. Um, you know, it doesn't look like much. doesn't cost much. But, you know, can, can pleasantly surprise, and it can be a really enjoyable drink um, if you give it some time. Uh, you won't really have to go into the beer much more. Uh, the other one, the more pessimist view, if you have to, is... Uh, Sam Adams Boston Lager. Um, you know, you, you, you pick it up, you expect it to taste like it did the first time, um, and it just doesn't live up. And, and you could think of a lot, a lot of things that you'd better, that you'd more rather drink than that. 
Um, I guess that's the pessimist view of Syracuse football um, this year. I know for a lot of people who drink, you know, non-macro options, uh, Boston Lager is probably your gateway. Maybe if you're, you were born on the West Coast, it could be uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale um, or maybe uh, Stone IPA. But uh, point stands with Boston Lager, which has really kind of fallen behind um, the pack a ton in terms of craft beer. And I think that's, a, that's an unfortunate but probably accurate look if you want to see SU as a negative. Yeah, which, I mean, we should, I, I will say that I think Sam puts out a number of other things that are actually really interesting and good. Um, but Boston Lager is pretty middle of the road, and, you know, you can find it everywhere, which is nice. And it's better than, you know, it's miles better than a Budweiser or a Coors or a Miller, but pretty nondescript um, otherwise. So I, I will say I'm sure we'll get, like, the uh, Boston Beer Company is actually a microbrew and not a macrobrew, so it doesn't fill this question, John. Well, we were looking for a micro, so we're good. Unless oh, I thought Andy said macro. He said non-micro, which is a round non-macro, which is a roundabout oh. way to say micro. <laughs> Though, if you look at the um, technically, Craft Brewers Guild changed its um, barrel limitations to technically turn Sam into a macro brew. But again, I won't. I won't get into all that because. That could be a podcast in and of itself. And it's no longer the off-season, so no time for that shit. Check in next summer when we do when we compare every ACC school to a microbrew. Take that, yeah. Okay. Moving back to football. Uh, a couple of positions left. We'll go through some games. Uh, linebackers. This has been a long-time strength uh, for Syracuse, and I think will be again. Um, I know that there's some doubts at replacing the production of Cam Lynch, and to be honest, I don't blame people. I have my own doubts there. But uh, the great part about having a player like him and a player like Deshaun Davis hang around for a while is that, you know what, they, they develop, they grow, they turn into, you know, three-year, four-year starters, and then this has happened numerous times in the last five to seven years, is that after saying, how could I live without this guy on the team, somebody else steps in and does the exact same thing because of the system that we run. Um, and I think it's going to happen once again with another really young, exciting group. With Zaire Franklin, Marcus Hodge, and uh, Paris Bennett, all of them got some extended time last year. Um, Franklin got a ton of time, as did Hodge, who was a starter last year at middle linebacker. Um, you know, he'll switch out to the will linebacker position. Overall, I really like this group. I think that there's a ton of potential. And if the defensive line needs some help um, in the blitzing department, and I'm sure they will a little bit, uh, these guys should be... Uh, very, very, very quick to fill those roles. Um, and you know what? Even beyond them, there's another three or four guys who can, you can rotate in um, and create a pretty deep uh, collection of players that should all see the field, save maybe one or two. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of boring at this point because linebacker, I feel like, has been the best unit on the team for like eight years. Um, but I think it's the best unit on the team again. Um, which is kind of crazy considering all the talent that we lost, like you said. But, I mean, Zaire Franklin got brought to ACC Media Days as a sophomore who only started a handful of games, which tells you just about all you need to know about how the coaches feel about him. Uh, Marcus Hodge has been through it a bit. Uh, he's been a, a pretty productive player. If you remember the disastrous, I'm sorry for making everyone remember this, the disastrous Georgia Tech game in 2013, Marcus Hodge played, uh, started that game, because our coaching staff thought it would be wise to change our entire defensive system for one game. Uh, that proved unwise, 
but Martez Hodge had like a hell of a game. He was making tackles all over the place. Probably didn't have a, any idea what he was doing because we were playing a defense that we'd never play. Um, but he just went out there and played football and had like I think a double digit tackle game. Yeah, I want to say it was uh, ten to twelve. He, in his first start ever, playing at basically, I mean, not at a position, but effectively, well, like three, four, yeah. effectively at a position because he doesn't play that. I mean, that that, that defense we haven't played it since. Um, and then you have guys like Paris Bennett, who's uh, interesting explosive player. Um, Jonathan Thomas, who I'm almost surprised isn't starting, freak just based athlete. on his free. Yeah, he's a freak athlete, which probably tells you it's probably a good sign for Paris. Um, you have guys out there like Shine Cullen, who is only the third string right now. I'm sure he'll be second by the end of the, of the summer. Um, he might not even play. He might redshirt, but he's a guy. I mean, if you follow he or his dad on Twitter, that dude is probably one of like the 10 strong decides on the team, and he just got out of high school. So it's it's a super young group, which is exciting, because I think it will probably be the best group on the team again. And based on the years. I mean, you have, in terms of guys who will play, you, you have one senior, which is Oliver Vigil, who I think will have a role. Uh, BC's been a pretty productive special teams and backup guy for a couple of years. And then you have a sophomore in Franklin, a junior in Hodge, a junior in Troy Henderson, who should play a bit, two sophomores in Bennett and Thomas, a freshman in Cullen. Like, that group's going to be together for two or three years as a whole. Um, it's very exciting. And that's like the one place that this coaching staff has been really good about identifying talent and coaching it up. Yeah, I think that's a great point about coaching it up. I mean, this isn't a group that's you know littered with four stars or anything like that. I mean, most of the guys right now are three stars, but there's plenty of twos. I mean, Paris Bennett's a two-star. Um, Ted Taylor, who we brought in from JUCO this year, is a two-star. We've had plenty of other two-star players in the past. Um, and th- this coaching staff has been able to, you're right, coach these guys up and turn them into stars. I mean, Cam Lynch was not all that heralded. Um, and look at the monster he turned into. The fact that he wasn't drafted is still a crime, but yeah, that's that's talk for another day. Um, in general, SU will be fine at linebacker. Any concerns there, probably misguided. Um, don't pay attention to the overall starts, the overall contributions of these guys in reserve roles in the past. Uh, this group will be okay, and hopefully don't they don't suffer an injury, but even if they do, um, you know, looking specifically at the sand position, where you have Thomas Bennett and uh, uh, Vigil all kind of ready uh, to go. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what this new group does. I think they have a little bit more speed than, than some of the previous guys and also have some more size. Um, and, and that's something that SU really isn't needed from its linebackers. Uh, I think Ham Lynch was kind of discounted because of his maybe lack of size, but uh, this group, won't, that won't be the case. Um, and again, really excited to see what they do out there. Yeah, and you also have like Hodge, who is moving over to the to the Will now this year. He played middle, so even if there's an injury to Franklin, you could move Hodge over. You could move Thomas over to the Will. Um, a lot of interchangeable parts, and I, I don't think there's anyone that really couldn't play one of the three spots in a pinch. So um, I'm really excited to see what they do. I hope I hope that based on a secondary that seems like it's been getting pretty good reviews, and I know we're about to talk about them, but seems to be. Maybe even a little bit ahead of where we were, where we expect them to be, and a very young defensive line. I expect uh, Bulla and Schaefer to just dial it up this year with the linebackers. And while you know it might burn us once or once or twice, I just I love how Syracuse has played defense the last couple of years, and I fully support uh, letting those like six or seven linebackers just run all over the place and just cause havoc. Oh, I agree. I think this linebacker group is going to have to. And I've said this in the preview posts. They're going to have to show up both for, to make up for some, you know, 
inability on, on the front getting adjusted as well as the, you know, the back four, which could be scary, but could also be surprising. Um, you know, Julian Wiggum seems to be committed to putting last year behind him, and Schaefer's really not giving him anything, even as a senior. And, and I actually applaud that approach, I think. For Wiggum, that might be the right way to go. Um, for a guy who was really promising his freshman year, he, I mean, well, sophomore year, excuse me, uh, totally tanked um, as a junior last season um, and, and really, really showed us just little in terms of uh, an ability to cover guys. Um, which was very disappointing, and it really kind of uh, you know showed as the year wore on. Um, what we've got to replace is, is a ton of uh, you know, I'd say a ton of talent and a ton of potential, um, if not immediate talent, um, and some guys who actually know how to cover um, and aren't necessarily always gearing up for big plays. Doesn't mean they won't happen, uh, but I think that this group seems a little more committed to coverage, um, and and it'll be an extensive group too. I mean. Whether you're looking at you know guys like Corey Winfield or Wayne Morgan, um, also at the cornerback position who could rotate in, um, I think Rodney Williams has gotten rave reviews as has uh, Antoine Cordy um, at the safety spots um, throughout camp. I know uh, recent uh, Syracuse.com coverage is really focused in on those two guys in particular, um, and then you know they're really really young. I mean you got a redshirt freshman and a sophomore, both of whom um, you know are, are really really going to. Uh, Oh, again, both saw some time last year, but are really, really going to both deal with some adjustment, but also, um, you know, fly under the radar um, in scouting reports, which which could really uh, encourage us a lot. Uh, there's plenty of other people, too, who won't even need to get into too much. Uh, guys like Juwan Dowles, guys like Coyle Hudson. These are players who, you know, redshirted last year, are going to play, um, and just provide a ton of depth um, here. Now, this is similar to the defensive line, though. Um, only in the sense that there isn't a star player. You just have a lot of depth and a lot of youth, um, and we'll just see who can kind of step up. But I fully expect them, uh, and we'll see what uh, Fred Reed does um, with this secondary. But I think you're going to see a lot of rotating in until we figure out the right matches. And, and I'd be shocked if we don't see at least, uh, I'd say, eight, maybe nine different guys um, out there against Rhode Island as we, uh, as we kind of test out what works. Yeah, I mean, I think you made a lot of good points. Um, probably the only two guys who have gotten substantial playing time are Wayne Morgan, who's coming off an injury, who has a chance to be, you know, he's, we luckily got another year out of him, um, which should be fun because he was a guy who, if you remember, was a pretty big recruit at Penn State offer. I think he had a Michigan offer too. Um, so we kind of lucked out as he's going to just be a junior this year. Um, and he's going back to corner, at least according to the depth chart that they have out there now. I know he's played some safety as well. Um, but I, I, it, it's tough because last year, I think one of the guys, probably the guy who was forgotten in that awful season, aside from maybe Jared West, uh, was really Brandon Reddish. Brandon Reddish had a all-ACC type year last year, um, basically took away half the field when so much else was going wrong, especially with... Julian Wiggum just struggling all over the place. Um, so hopefully Morgan can turn in an, a similar year where Reddish, you know, they're both New York City guys. Uh, Reddish had had a, a solid career up until last year and then broke out. Morgan's been pretty similar, you know, hasn't been a super player for us, but hasn't been a bad player by any means. Um, they're different guys. Morgan's a little more compact, not quite as, as long as Reddish. But I'm hoping we see another kind of surprising late career star turn from him. Um, Wiggum, I, I still have a little bit of faith in. I think last year was really bad, but 
he said all the right things. I think Schaefer's taken the right approach and, you know, not handing anyone anything, especially after how poorly last season went. Um, and hopefully he just, you know, really just goes after it because it, it seems like his senior year's almost snuck up on us. And it would be really disappointing for him to have another poor year, especially after how promising he was as a sophomore. Um, it almost reminds me of, uh, of Zach Chabane's career at SU, where he had a really good sophomore season, which uh, was 2010, along with Justin Pugh. And then he had a, he, for whatever reason, in 2011, down the stretch, he was really poor. And then he bounced back and was part of that really great 2012 offensive line. Um, so hopefully we see a same kind of junior year to senior year turnaround by Wickham. Um, and if we do, if we get Morgan and Wickham online, uh, that was, that's a pretty good cornerback room. Um, and then I'm super excited to see what Rodney Williams does. I know he hasn't been given the starting job or anything, but some guys just have a nose for the ball. Um, the most notable one in recent ACC vintage is uh, Gerard Holloman in Louisville. Like, that guy can't tackle at all. He barely snuck into the NFL draft because tackling is that bad. And obviously we don't think the same thing about Williams. We haven't seen him play enough, but... The guy just knew where the football was. He had, like, 14 picks last year, which is absurd. Um, and Williams, it seems like he has, like, seven or eight just during scrimmages this summer. So if he can make that kind of play, even if he's not the greatest cover guy or not the greatest tackler, um, we talked about, you know, explosive plays earlier. Interceptions mm-hmm. is the other side of that. Uh, an interception is such a game-changing play and flips so many things uh, about how a game is going. If he's a guy that can go and make plays like that, um, and even if he's not the greatest cover guy in the world, it might be worth the risk, especially because of how uh, how high gamble this defense is probably going to end up being this year. Right, and, and I think that's a good point. I think high gamble is, is a great way to put it. I think, yeah, you can definitely mortgage uh, tackling ability, but I think what we've done in the past is mortgage it for um, the potential for big plays and big hits. Um, you know, whether it's guys, I think Eskridge being uh, a pretty key uh, point there, but there's plenty of others you can you can kind of zero in on. Phil Thomas. <laughs> Phil Thomas, Shamarco. Like, these are guys who, in general, like, were very big on hits and not as big on um, coverage or actually, you know, big hits are great, but if they're not going to cause turnovers, then um, what's the point? Um, I, I, I think what, what we're getting here, though, in a guy like Williams um, is is somebody who's really just – he's got a nose for the football, and I think we're going to see uh, – you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see three to five picks from him um, and plenty of pass breakups. Chauncey Schism is a guy who, you know, we didn't even mention yet, and he's someone who is, I think, a, a very good cover guy and is going to, uh, you know, learn some, some – Mistakes from Eskridge, who he's still in good contact with. Um, and I think that he's going to be a great cover guy who, who also manages maybe an interception or two, um, along with a ton of pass breakups, but because, you know, he just knows how to blanket a, a receiver downfield. And I think where people could beat us uh, handedly over the top last year, um, I think this year that's not going to be the case. And, and that, you know, and we've said this with the offense, I think a slight uptick in, in quality secondary defending against the pass. Um, really, really could help us out a ton. Um, I know I said last year, and like in these this year's previews, um, and we finished 38th in pass defense, it sounds great, but like that number's bullshit based on... Um, teams weren't where, throwing on us? <laughs> well, teams, teams didn't have to throw on us in the second half. Um, and on top of that, I mean, 
you know, we allowed something like 67% of passes completed against us. Like, so if you want to throw, you know, five-yard passes all day, your corners are going to get roasted. Um, and yeah, if you complete 67.5% of your five-yard passes, you're still doing pretty well on the game. Um, so I think this year we're going to see a big focus toward coverage and not just coverage to, to make quick tackles but like we have, but, but coverage to break up passes and, and to prevent receivers from getting open. So um, it's going to be some growing pains. I'm not going to pretend that we have, you know, a bunch of all pros back there, but I, I think that this is going, this could be um, a surprising group if, if only if you set the bar pretty low that, you know, last year was bad, this year will be better. And we're kind of overdue for a good secondary. I feel like the only great uh, post-G-Rob secondary, not, maybe not great, but the only really solid post-G-Rob secondary we've had is probably 2010, the Mike Holmes, DeMond Murkison group. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we've had great defensive lines. We've had really great linebacking groups like across the board. We could, we could, we're kind of overdue for a good secondary. I would agree. Um, our last position group, and then we'll get to some schedule. Uh, Obviously, we're set a punter with Riley Dixon. Uh, he is about as good as they come. Um, I know he's not getting all ACC nods um, because, admittedly, distance isn't always his forte, but he does know how to punt well. He is an athlete and does give us a ton of potential um, for trick plays, whether that's you know being tied for second on the team in touchdowns uh, thrown or running for 45 yards um, against the top 25 team like Notre Dame. Um, he, he's an intangible that I think is very hard to game plan for. Uh, he's very hard to take down, too. It's 6'5", 222. It's usually not uh, what you see out of your punter. Um, a kicker, uh, we can talk about this briefly. Um, Cole Murphy's there, and he's only a sophomore, uh, and he also now has a scholarship. Um, Murphy was very good last year. He, uh, he was very good in kickoffs. He, uh, he showed himself very capable um, coming in to kick field goals and extra points, and I think... Um, you know, he, he should be well set up to be our kicker for this season and the next two after that. Um, what that opens up for us now is, is a guy like Sterling Hoffrichter, who was a highly touted uh, kicker and you know, combo punter, too. Um, gives us an opportunity to, to, to redshirt him, which is kind of wacky for, a, for you know, a special teamer. But nonetheless, I, I think it's appropriate here just so we can get five years out of, out of two really, really well-regarded guys. Yeah, I mean, unless he's just, like, solidly better than Murphy, and it doesn't seem like he's really done anything to make us think that, mostly because Murphy's pretty good. Um, I totally agree. Why not get the extra year out of him and then not have to recruit a kicker punter, especially if he can do both jobs at the college level um, until, what, 2017, 18, or whatever. So I'm all for that. Uh, I think that's kind of the ideal scenario, and with Dixon and Murphy and even Norton, who obviously hasn't been great and also gets fights in fights off campus all the time. Um, you know, we're, we're not, you know, we don't have uh, Robert Aguayo back there, but I think we've had, we have a pretty good special team situation in terms of the kicking game. So if you can stall uh, Hoffrichter's uh, four years from starting for a year and not lose anything from it, I think that's great. And I think that was hopefully what the coaches are thinking right now. I completely agree. Again, we'll have to see. I'm sure they won't commit to that until they absolutely have to, but, you know, worth a look. Um, beyond those two, I think we're good at long snap with Matt Keller. Not much to dive into there. Um, return men. Uh, do you think it's going to be Briz and, and Irv, or do you think that, 
that we're going to have to go outside the box a little bit, maybe involve someone like Jordan Fredericks, uh, maybe involve a guy like Rodney Williams. Um, where do you see the return game end? Uh, I'd be remiss to, to avoid mentioning uh, Steve Gregory, who, as I've, I've said in two different articles in the past two weeks, um, is going to make a huge, huge difference um, on the special teams for Syracuse uh, at quality control, even if it doesn't seem like it right away. Um, I know I really don't want to see Steve Ishmael. <laughs> I think the only guy I want to see less than Steve Ishmael is Terrell Hunt. So let's not use him. But other than that, Irv, I think, is fine. Um, Grizzly, I think he can be a game changer there, and I think you're taking a lot away if you don't at least put him back there for high leverage situations, um, like we saw in the Texas Bowl, obviously. Um, otherwise, I mean, I'm kind of open to a lot of different guys. Frederick seems interesting. I just don't want to use a superstar like Ishmael, who we already saw get banged up there once uh, in camp, um, and it doesn't sound like he'll be used back there, especially because his, his skill set doesn't seem to make the most sense back there anyway. He's more of a, a really good route runner um, with solid but not, like, superstar speed. So I'd rather see Brizzly back there um, because he seems to he seems like the perfect punt returner and kick returner. Um, so that's my guy, and obviously we have the evidence that he can do it. I don't know if he's super consistent, which I know this coaching staff values, but um, I'm all about trying to get game breakers back there as long as they're not going to uh, hurt our chance to play a really effective offense. Completely agree. Uh, and that wraps us up for player previews. Um, moving to the schedule now. Uh, we'll have our own predictions coming out next week um, on the site, but everyone's favorite feature... Uh, it makes for fantastic radio. Uh, reading lists. We'll, uh, we'll do a little bit of that quick uh, before we wrap up tonight. Um, Dan, starting with the first game, do we have to dive in? Rhode Island, win or loss? Um, is John Robertson playing for them? No. Okay, no, we win. Woo! All right, that's one. Um, Central Michigan, CMU was... Uh, was smoked on their own turf uh, last year, uh, despite us traveling, what was it, like an hour from a different hotel to get there. Um, we were good, though. I think that uh, I think that Syracuse is going to come in and, uh, and do more of the same, um, which seems like we're the only ones who feel that way. I don't know if that's just me or... It seems like everyone's kind of wary on, and sorry, I skipped Wake. I'll get back to it. Um, everyone seems a little wary on that game um, outside of the SU fan base, but I think we're pretty sold. Um, CMU looks like a win, um, especially on, on the Carrier Dome turf. Yeah, we just decided to only spend the amount of time uh, in seconds on Wake that they averaged on rushes last year. So <laughs> real quick on Wake. Um, no, I think the Central Michigan thing has been kind of a weird thing this offseason where we beat them 40-3 to last year with not a particularly good team. Um, and if anything tells you the value of going to a bowl, even though it's a, even if it's a bad bowl, um, look at Central Michigan. They went to a bowl last year, and I don't see a lot of people picking them to beat Syracuse, but everyone's like, oh, this would be a pretty close game. And I'm trying to figure out why people think that, and I'm pretty sure it's that Central Michigan was a bowl team and Syracuse wasn't. Uh, so... Yeah, let's go sits and sits and make make our team seem a little more interesting than it actually may be uh, every year. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not worried about this game at all. Central Michigan loses a couple of their best guys. Cooper rushes back, but he didn't do much of anything against us. Uh, it's at the dome. It's not in 
uh, what's what's the awesome town name like Mount Pleasant or whatever Central Michigan's in? Yeah, Mount Pleasant. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not worried about this game. Um, and obviously, you know, one forty to three win one year doesn't automatically mean that the other team's going to uh, or the same team's going to win the game next year. But you know, I think it's not unfair to project that the game will not be all that close based on the fact that we think Syracuse will be better and Central Michigan will be probably around the same. So I think Syracuse will win pretty handily, even if it's not as big as last year. Fair enough. Going back in time, Wake Forest. You don't have to take too much time on this. Uh, we've said this in the past. Uh, Wake loses its two best players uh, to the NFL draft. Um, we should be able to throw on them, barring the offense can throw. Um, they're still about two years out, I think, from being a real solid, like, 6-6, six 7-5 and six, seven and five team. Um, and even then, uh, we'll have to see. I think they're putting together good recruiting, but not great. Um, and overall, it, it just seems like Clawson is, uh, is going to take some time, but will also get it. So I, I think people jumping to, to put Wake Forest as a leapfrog, uh, to SU seems silly, um, and without getting too much more into it, because I know we have, um, we got to give this one to the Orange, uh, following up on last year's big win um, in Winston-Salem with our backup quarterback. Um, I think with Hunt um, in the game, I, I think we'll be just fine. Yeah, I'm same. Th- it's similar to the Central Michigan thing. Even though Wake didn't come closer to going to a bowl, it's just uh, people just. I almost assume that Wake can't possibly be worse, and it does seem like Dave Clawson is, has an idea for how the team needs to be, and he said the right things, and he's recruited pretty well, uh, especially for Wake Forest. So I, I agree. I think he's rebuilding there. I think he'll be there for a while and deserves a lot of time to be, to make that job happen. But you've already seen some you know, sparks of brightness here and there, and, and they have an interesting young quarterback. I just don't think, like, like you said, they lose their two best players, which are both cornerbacks, who Syracuse still had some success throwing on last year, despite all of the issues. Um, this year, I think their front seven will probably be the more uh, highly vaunted part of their team. But, um, you know, SU ran the ball pretty pretty well last year. Obviously, it was a little bit uh, – the, the numbers are a little bit uh, what better than they were because Devontae McFarlane broke a 95-yard run, which he didn't score on somehow. But um, – Overall, same same deal. I think Syracuse will. I think Wake will be better, but I think Syracuse will probably take a similar step forward to Wake. And Syracuse was twenty three points better last year by my memory. So, uh, same with Central Michigan. I just don't see where one team is taking such an astronomical leap forward versus what the other team does. That this won't be a similar game to what it was last year. Too true. Uh, LSU. Don't have to take too much time here. Nope. I think. <laughs> yeah, we have a. We have about. 10 to 15 future NFL players on the field, bare minimum for LSU. Um, Leonard Fournette is going to tear up the front seven for Syracuse, regardless of how well they might have played in the first three games and how well they might play um, in the eight games after this one. Um, it's not going to be pretty. LSU is going to win by a lot. I don't care about the quarterback situation. It doesn't matter. Um, LSU is going to win. It's unfortunate, but true. No one should have sat with this game to begin with. Um. Jalen Mills might not play because he had surgery, and uh, then just insert like that shruggy uh, motorcom thing, uh, and that's pretty much my preview of this game. <laughs> uh, USS, we uh, we get a week off, then we go down to Tampa. Um, you know, what? I I think everyone's really sold on us just like destroying USF, and I think everyone forgets that 
even years that we were more talented than them, I'd say 2012 in particular, um, USF challenged us. Uh, obviously, a lot's changed since those, uh, those mid-aughts uh, years where USF was able to, to kind of run roughshod over us with, uh, you know, Matt Grothy, um, then BJ Daniels. Uh, Daniels in particular just tortured us um, for the entirety of his, uh, his tenure um, with the Bulls. But I think that there's a lot of talent there, but it's just not arrived yet. Uh, there's going to be a very young group, a group that might have some more speed than some of the other squads we've faced uh, in the non-conference. But uh, SU should be able to win this one, even if it's only by a touchdown or two. Yeah, this team definitely has me more worried than either of the other two. Um, USF wasn't good last year at all, but uh, I struggle to think that Willie Taggart is not going to find a way to win there. He was really good at Western Kentucky. He was a really good hire, I thought. Um, and obviously those things don't always work out. Uh, look at Chris Peterson in Washington. Um, obviously he's only been there for a year, but they just look like a mess right now. Um, actually, pretty much any time a Boise State coach leaves, it doesn't always work out. But uh, I, I struggle to think that he won't at least make that a, a decent program in the AAC, uh, which is not a program that we can look past. Um, I'm really glad that Asante Wooler didn't get some weird waiver to play this year, uh, and we'll have to deal with him down the road. But overall, I kind of agree with your outlook. I, I think we'll win the game, but it's way closer to being one of the toss-up games, um, especially making that long trip even with the week off playing in the hot weather, um, which always seemed to be an issue down there. Even the games we won were super close. Um, so I, I'm going to say it's like a 60, 65% Syracuse win. It just feels like one of those games that we look at it before the season and think, oh, this will be one we definitely win, and then it ends up biting us. So I'm going to try to take a more even-keeled approach this season. Um, I do think that will be a win, though. I think we'll be just a good amount better and overcome some probably sloppy play. Yeah. Uh, moving on to VA, uh, this is another game that everyone's kind of uh, kind of sold we're going to win, and I don't really know why. Um, I know there was a discussion about it today um, in the uh, in the Why Syracuse Goes Five and Seven article. Um, UVA just seems like a, a game everyone's ready to say like they suck, whatever. Last year in the in F plus rankings, they were top forty team. They were five and seven, and they missed out on a bowl by a field goal. Um, easily could have been seven and five or so. Um, really, they know how to schedule themselves into a hole even more than SU does, facing teams like UCLA, BYU, and Boise. Um, in general, I still think we're a little bit better. I just don't know what that team is on offense. Um, but defensively, I think UVA has a little bit of an edge on us, um, at the very least. Um, they've got Quinn Blanding. They've got uh, Demetrius Nicholson. There's just a lot of players, um, you know, uh, What's his name? David Dean. There, there's, again, the list could go on. There's, there's enough defenders um, on UVA to keep this game very close. Um, so it might come down to whether our defense can, you know, play at its usual level um, and the way the offense can find a couple ways to break through um, more than the Who's do. Um, this is going to be tough. I think we can win, but I'd only put the margin of, I'd only put the, the probability of victory hanging around uh, 55% at absolute max. I've kind of talked myself out of this one. Um, yeah, I, I just think looking more at Virginia last year, they were way more competitive than people gave them credit for. Um, like you said, they were, I think they were in 38 and F plus, which is like ahead of most bowl teams, which is kind of crazy. And while 
I, having watched a decent amount of them last year, I don't think they were the 38th Fucking best team in, in the in football, but like, they were just so close to beating a number of teams. They beat Louisville. Um, I, I don't know if they'll be better than they were last year, like in terms of their actual play. But uh, when, when you have a team that comes that has that much like bad luck in one possession games, where I think they I mean, I don't have it open right now, but I think they played five like one possession games last year. Those things tend to flip. Um, there just is that kind of randomness in sports that we don't like to acknowledge all the time. Um, and I think this is probably the biggest coin flip game we have this year. Um, but uh, UVA just recruits really well. Like you said, their defense is really sta- uh, staunch. Um, I think they'll really need this win, probably even more than SU does, especially after the grind they have to start the year because of their really dumb scheduling practices. Like you said, they're worse at being serious. Like they do everything we do, and they just do it like three times worse. Um, so I'm, I'm penciling this win as a loss I have, but it's probably the closest game in terms of projecting things preseason, um, ter- uh, as to like whether Syracuse will win or lose. I could see it going absolutely either way. Um, and I could also see Virginia being like a, a weird, you know, I don't think they're going to win the Coastal by any means, but I could see them kind of coming out of nowhere to, to save Mike London's job for at least another year. Um, hopefully it turns out that Mike London is really just as bad as it, you know, everyone thinks, and he blows it in Syracuse and wins, like, four games. Actually, I don't know if I hope that, but I hope he blows it in Syracuse. <laughs> um, so I'm going to take a Syracuse loss here. Uh, hopefully I feel really stupid about this when we actually get to game week and Virginia's, like, 1-4 and four and looks awful and Syracuse is 4-1 and one and looks pretty good. But uh, for now, I'm, gonna, I'm staying, like, slightly pessimistic on this season. So... Uh, I apologize ahead of time for being so disloyal. <laughs> All right, so Dan's got us um, at four and two. I've got us at five and one. Uh, Pittsburgh uh, have never been a great team um, in recent years, but always give us problems. Uh, we've only won once. It was barely. We've lost a bunch of times barely. Um, I don't have faith that this is the year that we break through. Um, I think the Voytich could really do well. I think the offensive line um, has a lot going for it. And then obviously that's before you even get to the fact that um, James Conner and Tyler Boyd are, you know, two of the probably five to seven best players in the conference. Um, No, there's not a ton after those players, but it might not matter um, as as proven by last year's result when we were kind of run right off the field by them. Uh, I think this year's addition will be closer. But I see Syracuse losing this one. It's kind of deflating. Um, if you start five and one under my situation and get to get knocked down to five and two, especially knowing what comes next, um, could be a, a real, real killer loss. And uh, for what it's worth, if things play out this way, I'm just crossing my fingers that it doesn't happen and that this team can rebound quickly. Yeah, I mean, it just seems to have our number for whatever reason, um, and it's been. There've been a couple of those games where it's ended up being really bad, and uh, especially that what 2011 is when we ended there, and Chandler Jones couldn't quite bring the interception in, and we lost that on ball eligibility. Um, I think that was the last game of the year at Pitt. Um, obviously, this is a little earlier in the season, but uh, and I don't think Pitt's going to be great, but I think Pat Narduzzi is a good coach. Um, I'm worried about him becoming a really solid head coach and being there for like two whole years before he leaves, uh, which should be pretty detrimental to Syracuse. Um, Strangely, James Conner didn't really make a huge impact last year. Um, I don't know that I expect him to get shut out again, but Tyler Boyd kills Syracuse. He had 
10 catches for 82 yards in 2013 um, in that one-point win. One of the biggest touches of that game, if I remember correctly, I think it set up the game-winning touchdown, although I could just be projecting his general dominance against us uh, to that. But then last year he had 126 yards and a touchdown in the second to last game of the year where they just blew us out. Um, so he's just really good. Um, I'm happy as an ACC fantasy owner that he'll be playing. I don't really know how I feel about him playing otherwise because of his off-the-field issues, but uh, I won't project too much there. Um, yeah, I, I have pit winning. I just, for whatever reason, we just can't get past that team. Um, and I just think don't think that uh, Syracuse has enough talent on pit, if they have any at all, uh, to overcome those two really great players. And a, a pretty solid defense across the board that will be getting one of the best defensive coaches in the country to take them over. So, um I really hope Pat Narduzzi cuts and runs early, uh, sooner than, than later because he, he at Pitt seems to be a really good fit, and uh, I hope it doesn't last too long. Agreed. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, I do think if he is able to find success with Pitt, I don't know if it'll last long, if only because he'll find a job that's better. Um, and there, there's a lot of jobs that, that you can consider an upgrade over Pitt. But that's a talk for another day. Um, I think we'll lump in the next three games together, just in a run short on time. Um, FSU, Louisville, Clemson. Uh, the first two are on the road. Uh, Clemson is at home. Dan, do we have a shot at winning any of these games? Uh, FSU, no. Uh, Clemson, if Deshaun Watson gets hurt and one of the two good receivers get hurt and something else miraculous happens, maybe. But those are all, like, huge ifs. Louisville, I don't know what to make out of them. Um on one hand, their offense last year just wasn't, never really came together. They never really found a quarterback, and they still don't have one. Uh, I'm not really enthralled by Will Gardner or Reggie Bonifant, uh, and they don't have Devontae Parker anymore. Um, but that defense was really good last year, although they lose a lot of their best players too. Um, but on the uh, the flip side, they're a whole year into the Bobby Petrino system, so they should have a better idea of what they're doing on offense. So I think they'll be a solid team. I don't think Syracuse will beat them, but um, I think that's easily the most winnable of those three games. And, you know, there could be something crazy that happens where Louisville takes a step back that was unforeseen and Syracuse takes a bigger step forward than we even think, and then that's a really close game. But I'll say those are all three losses, um, but I think Louisville wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world if if things come together to make that a Syracuse win, but nothing I would bet on. Agreed. Um, I think that that is, it's not a wild card here, but it's definitely the most attainable one. It's not like we've failed to be highly regarded Louisville team before. Um, as recently as three years ago, we knocked off a top 10 Louisville team. Uh, dubious top 10, but nonetheless top 10 and undefeated. Um, and, is- I mean, but Ryan Nassib never lost that senior day at home, so <laughs> or homecoming at home, whatever that was. Whatever that fake fact that Charlie Strong made up was. Uh, it, it ended up working out again. What if I told you that lies could be put on a cardboard cutout, that teams could make shit up and still lose by a lot, and that undefeated doesn't mean anything if you haven't beaten anyone? I still enjoyed, I still really enjoyed that moment of time where I was sitting in the upper deck of the Terrier Dome and watching like Teddy Bridgewater warm up and then saw that picture come through my Twitter and watched every Syracuse like personality be like, wait, where's this quote from? Did this actually happen? I'm pretty sure he didn't say this. He definitely <laughs> didn't say this. Did Charlie Strong just make some shit up? Charlie Strong just made some shit up. 
30 for 30 presents Charlie Strong just made some shit up. The story of the 2012 Louisville Cardinals. We really didn't do our due diligence by not sharing that story with like the Texas A&M folks as soon as he was hired. Because like generally I like Charlie Strong, but that whole that whole event was so funny and so weird that uh, I kind of wish we had like shared it with him as soon as they were uh, as soon as they hired Strong. Too late now. No, I mean they'd probably still appreciate it, but it wouldn't have the same effect. True. Uh, last two games, uh, Dan. Under your scenario, we are four and six. Under mine, we are five and five. Uh, at NC State. Now, the last time we were down at NC State, we pulled off our only win against the Wolfpack ever, but it was a dominating one. Uh, won twenty to three. The pack looked like garbage. Um, I don't really think that. This pack team is miles ahead of that one, but everyone else would tell you they are. Uh, that said, I think NC State wins this one. Um, they'll have you know less on the line. There'll be less stress. Um, in general, I think that they'll that they could win seven games this year, um, regardless of you know their their non-conference schedule. Doesn't really matter because the goal is you know six or seven wins for them, and and again they'll get there. Um, I think that Jacoby Brissett. While I do believe he's overrated a bit by some, um, I think that that actually leads to him being properly rated. I think he's underrated by those who discount NC State. Um, I think NC State wins, but not by much. It's going to be a bummer because I'm going to be there live, um, and I don't like watching SU lose in person, something I haven't done anyway since 2009. Um, Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Uh, I think NC State uh, just has... The one guy in Brissette that's a bit of a, a trump card over what SU has. Obviously, maybe Hunt turns into that same kind of player, but um, like you said, I, I think Brissette's stats are probably lead you to believe he's a little better than he actually is. But then, um, if you actually like look at how NCC did last year, like oh, this guy can't actually be that good. He's somewhere in between. Like he legitimately almost led them to a win over FSU last year, and obviously they have James Winston, who was the Mad Hatter last year and pulled things out of nowhere, but. Um, He's a really solid player and just does what they need him to do in that offense and not not make huge mistakes and you know throw the ball when necessary but really beat people with their legs. So I think it'll be a close game. I'm not enamored with NC State by any means, but I think they're just that little bit better. Um, and again, like we said with CMU, we could Syracuse would have the same kind of projection as long if they scheduled. You know, you don't even have to schedule like NC State does, where it's just. They find the weakest teams possible and, and still almost lost one or two of those games last year. Um, but, you know, just wins are so valuable. And NC State like will be probably bowl eligible at this point without looking at their schedule just based on I know their four games at a conference are all hilarious. So uh, maybe we catch them napping because of that, um, like we did two years ago. But otherwise, I'd probably I'd give a slight edge to NC State. Agreed. And the last game... Dan just knocked us out of bowl eligibility. I've got us at five and six. Um, the Orange Eagle Trophy, bowl eligibility are on the line. We've seen this before at the Carrier Dome, the last Saturday of the season. Um, a lot of people are buying on Boston College. I don't know why. There's just not enough on the roster right now. And that's not a bad thing for Adazio. It just, it just, he had a senior-laden group when he got there. Um, and then the last two years, he's had to replace a ton. I just don't see them having the quarterback play they had last year with Murphy. Um, 
So I see Syracuse winning, even if it's just by you know a little bit, maybe similar to last, the ending from two years ago. Um, Syracuse is going to want to go to a bowl. They're going to want to win this rivalry game. Um, I got Syracuse winning, getting the six and six. Um, it's not going to be pretty. Uh, it'll be like most SU seasons lately. Um, you know, beat the teams you're supposed to, lose the teams that you know you're not supposed to beat, but. Six and six is still a ball, and, and, and that's really all the most you can ask for this season. Yeah, I also have them beating Boston College. I actually almost feel like they could come out and, after the pressure's off, put it together like one of those 2009 Rutgers at the Terry Dome performances where they just come out like they're with their heads on fire and play this ridiculous game. Um, I think people are going to underrate the loss of Tyler Murphy. He was He was super limited in what he could do, but he did – the things that he was effective at so well averaged the fact that he averaged almost six and a half yards of carry, um, despite the fact that he rushed almost as much as John Hilleman last year is crazy. And I don't think Hilleman's going to be nearly as effective without Murphy as the main rushing threat. Um, especially cause I, he didn't really blow me away last year. I just think that they're, like you said, they lose a lot of their best players. They're going to probably take a step back. And that's fine. Adazio's done a super job there. He's nowhere near being in trouble. And if they have a 4-8 year, uh, BC fans just kind of go with it and just accept that, that it was a weird year in terms of how the how the experience lined up. Um, but I, I think I just think uh, top to bottom, Syracuse is a more talented roster this season. Um, and I think they'll beat them. And I, I almost feel like this will be one of those where it leaves at least a kind of a decent taste in our mouths in terms of how the year ends. And I think... Schaefer will ride a nice rivalry victory into a uh, fourth-year Syracuse head coach. So I, I think we'll have a nice way to send off a, a fairly up-and-down year, and then hopefully things will really start to click for the team with a new quarterback uh, in 2016, and then like a really solidly experienced defense and some really nice still players. Completely agree. I think that's a good way to end it. Um... Dan, it's been a pleasure previewing another SU football season. I know uh, next week we'll be back um, to preview Rhode Island, um, an actual game that Syracuse is actually playing on an actual field. You should be very excited. I know I am. Um, so, Dan, thank you again for joining. Yes, uh, thank you for having me as always. Uh, I don't know how much I'm going to have to say about Rhode Island, but I'll, I'll get crunching on the video. You know I'll find a way. The 1-11 <laughs> Rhode Island Rams. <laughs> Woo! If there was ever a game SU cannot lose this is probably it but we'll get into that next week uh for dan i'm john you've been listening to troy noons an absolute podcast uh, please be sure to subscribe rate review us um, over on blog talk and over on itunes and we'll see you next week go orange go orange at jared we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion, and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. 
dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.